chapter 4, verse number 1. And I'm going to read a few, only a few verses to start with, and then we'll kind of work our way through. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we essay to commune with you, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Behold, thou hast instructed many, thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it has come upon thee, and thou faintest, toucheth thee, and thou art troubled. And we'll work on from there. Father, I pray you'd help us. Next few minutes here as we talk through this chapter and the next. Uh, maybe we can grab something to be a help to us in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. My goal this evening is to look at the offensive speech of Eliphaz and find the good in it. That's what I was always instructed to do when we were in college. You have lots of chapel. Well, we were college students, so we pretty much knew everything there was to know about the Bible. And uh, when preachers that came in that had been in the ministry for 25 years, uh, you know, we were much smarter than them. And so a lot of times we would critique. And uh, I remember my college president, rightly so one time, just dressed us up one side and down the other. I don't bring preachers in here so you guys can crit be criticize them, you know. And, uh, and he made a point, and I always try to remember, he said, it doesn't matter how bad the preacher is, you can pick up one thing in what he says. You can learn something in what he says. And we're going to tonight look at a bad preacher, in my opinion. We'll see why. But he said many good things. That's the first side of the coin. The other thing we want to do is to remind ourselves uh, to learn how we should act when we're in trouble. And uh, this, is, this is Job opened the door for a lot of what is going to come out of Eliphaz's mouth. Again, it would have been nice had Eliphaz kind of been understanding a little more than he was, but uh, true that Job did bring some of this on himself. How we act in trouble is important. It's important. All right, number one, commencing of the speech. What all started it was the complaint of Job. When Job finished his complaining speech, the Bible says, then Eliphaz began his uh, he appears at first to be concerned about the effect of his words on Job. Verse 2, if we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? Remember their intention, chapter 2, verse 11, was to comfort Job. They wanted to comfort him, and so he didn't want to make it worse. He, uh, that was the take anyway. But after Job's complaint, Eliphaz doesn't want to, uh, he, he really doesn't want to make it worse, but he's got to say what he has to say, he says here. There's some caution exercised by him. But uh, evidently, we'll see it wasn't enough. He says here in verse 2, Who can withhold himself from speaking? What you said, Job, forces me to give you my opinion. I have to speak after you've spoken. He had withheld his tongue for seven days. And now he wants to justify himself being critical. And he does so by saying, I can't stop myself from speaking. I have to open my heart. By the way, we, we've got lots of buzzwords for this today. You know, we, use, we hear from people, or we even use ourselves sometimes. I just want to open my heart to you. Well, it was going to be hurtful, but he was going to do that. He can't accept Job's complaint. So he starts in verses 3 and 4, talks about Job helping those who were experiencing trouble, and Job indeed did that. We can see that throughout the book of Job. Chapter 29, verse 12, verse 13, verse 15 talks about it. Uh, chapter 31, 16 through 21 talks about it. Uh, Job's helping other people. He had a tender heart for those that were experiencing trouble. Now, Eliphaz uses this praise as a springboard to rebuke Job. You ever been in a conversation like that, when people build you up only to tear you down? I had, and I, I love him dearly. I've got to do this, drive me crazy. Um, my first pastor, 
uh, Pastor Jackson, and uh, if he's not listening, not bad. If he, he was the best I've ever seen at this. Um, he would build you up, genuinely, and then he would be critical after. He always said it takes 17 positives to offset a negative. So he would, he would start with praising you. He would start with uh, good things. And so if I ever sat in his office and started getting praised, I would know in the back of my mind, oh, something bad's coming soon after this. Uh, he was good at that. But some people are like that. They, they build you up only to tear you down. Like you have such beautiful attention away from your face. You know, give you a compliment and then uh, come in with a jab afterward. Well, this is what he does here. And we really should treat compliments like roses. You know, they're nice, but there's often some thorns in there with it. Hold them very lightly. Don't take compliments to the head. Uh, hold them lightly, and sometimes there is some thorns in there. But look at what he says in verse 5 through 6 here. So he says, Job, you've helped others. You've been such a blessing to many other people, but now it has come upon thee, and thou faintest. It touches thee, and thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? So he commends Job in order to criticize him. You've counseled others, but when trouble comes, you won't take the medicine you gave other people. You know what that's basically saying? Job, you're a hypocrite. You told others and uh, what they should do when trouble comes, and now you can't do it yourself. It's kind of like the charge in Luke 4.23, physician heal thyself, they gave to Jesus. So Eliphaz is saying here that um, what you told others, you're not doing yourself, that's hypocrisy. Now, I, I have to say, looking at Eliphaz, this is just knowing human nature, I would think probably Eliphaz found a little bit of pleasure in stabbing Job. It just seems like it. The, he was his inferior. The Bible says that Job was the greatest, which included Eliphaz. Uh, so Job was always above him, more successful than him, probably more popular than him uh, in all these different ways. And now, all of a sudden, he is brought down. Uh, Job obviously had been the better man, and it is always the temptation of the inferior to attack the, the superior when they perceive a fault. So when, you, when there's somebody above you or, or more successful than you, it's, it's, uh, it's human nature for us to attack that person. That's the first sight. But secondly, Job kind of walked into this. When there is conflict, even when you are in the right, you can often open the door to criticism because of how you act, the words that you say. Job did this in his complaint. Uh, we got to remember in life, we never get a pass. And sometimes I wish we would. If we're, in, if we're in grief or in deep trouble or we've got a serious trial going on in our life, uh, people still expect, I found this in ministry especially, people still expect the same amount of, of uh, cheerfulness, of service, of everything that you do has to stay the same or they can become very critical. We don't get a pass in these areas, especially not as we minister to people. And so Job, he did kind of open the door from, I, I do sometimes wish, you know, if I have a really bad day and act ugly once, I could just get a pass from it and it doesn't count. But people remember that just like we do anytime. Uh, then that look at the communication here. Uh, Eliphaz is going to claim some spiritual experience to back him up. Verse 12, uh, a thing was secretly brought to me and my ear received a little thereof. Verse 15, then a spirit passed before my face. Verse 16, it stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. There was silence and I heard a voice. So he's basically talking here about a uh, supernatural uh, experience he had. He was given a, what others were not given. There seems to be a little bit of self-exaltation here, uh, but uh, he obviously did get some kind of revelation. And uh, the message in the vision Eliphaz think is most appropriate for Job. He thought this was just right for him, and so he's obviously going to pass it off on him now. Remember, Job's complaint 
was indirectly questioning the providence of God. If you remember when we kind of went through, if you were here, uh, and but if not, you can read it in chapter 3. He's, he's, he's all these questions, wish I'd have never been born, wish I'd have died the day I was born, why did God let me live? So he's questioning the providence of God in his complaint. And now look at verse 17, the message he gives back. Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Well, Job's complaint seemed to imply a yes to both of these because he questioned the providence of God. So he refutes, Eliphaz does, this idea of man being better than God in four ways. Let's look at them here. And again, we're just doing kind of a jump skip over here. Verse 18 and 19. Uh, Behold, we're in chapter 4 still. Behold, he put no trust in his servants, and his angels he charged with folly. Uh, Verse 19, how much less in them that dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. So God can't trust his heavenly messengers or his angels because they fail. How much can he trust man? What he's saying there. Trust here is not a lack of honesty, but rather a lack of ability, basically. Consistent in character at all times. And the point being, man will fail you. Man will always fail. And by the way, I will fail you, and you will fail me. If we work together long enough, we just fail one another. We're man. We're not, we're not perfect. I, you know the best co-laborers in a local church? Are people that forgive quickly. I mean, honestly, you, you just, there's there's people in this church now that I'm not meaning to, but just have happened because I've offended them and forgiven me. People that have offended me and I've forgiven them and we've moved on. We just, we're friends, we serve together. That's the kind of uh, life we should have because people will fail you. Now, God does not fail you, but people will. And if we start ever holding people's single failures against them to the point that we can't work together or serve together, that's a problem. Uh, and the, so the message is true here. Eliphaz is speaking the truth. Man will fail. So there's the failure of man. Secondly, the foundation of man, verse 19, whose foundation is in the dust. These, again, are four ways that God is better than man. Man is made out of the dust of the ground, Genesis 2-7. This humbles man before Almighty God, who is eternal. It makes any questioning of God by man really foolish, is it not? I mean, it's pretty silly to question God who made us when we're just simply dust, and he is eternal. So Job's complaint about God was unwise. Understandable, but unwise, and life is is swooping here in here with this truth. Number three, the frailty of man. Look at verse 20. Uh, Well, in the last part of verse 19, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. They are destroyed from the morning to evening. They perish forever without any regarding it. The frailty. Man can be crushed so easily and so quickly because compared to God, we are extremely frail. We, we think we aren't sometimes, but we are so frail. It can be, you know, our life could end so quickly. And we see it, obviously, as we grow older. You know, I think this crowd here understands that better than the crowd in Pastor Nick's tonight because they just plan to live forever. When we were young, that's what we thought. But uh, as we get older, we understand this. It, the frailty is seen in the fact that we are constantly decaying. That's what it says here, destroyed from morning to evening. <coughs> so my little grandson I'm going to see in a few days, and truth of the matter is, I mean, he's dying. That's what we do. That's what a human body does. Now, uh, I, there's a certain age where that decay starts, but uh, you're not going to live forever. And so we understand that we are frail. And then verse 4, the fatalness of man. Verse 20, they perish forever. Verse 21, they die. The last inferiority of man mentioned is their death. They do not last. The best of man, the wisest of them, 
all die. We talked about Steve Jobs on Sunday. And, uh, you know, all the money in the world can't keep a man alive. Because after this, the judgment, Hebrews 9.27, is appointed that a man wants to die. But God does not die. He has always and will always exist. Uh, therefore, man is inferior to God. And Job was wrong, rightly so, for questioning God in his complaint. So, Job did open the door for this. That's why it's so important to watch our mouth and our action. There have been times and seasons, some really, really tough times, go through in our church family, in our family at home. It's a tough thing sometimes. Carry on. It's just fine. Put a smile on it. Preach the word. Sing songs. Yet, the expectation is there. And, and that is the, I have found, that is the most important time for us to watch our tongues. We say, people watch, and sometimes people dig, like your life is. I mean, my goodness, seriously? All that Job's going through, and he's got to slap him with truth. Sometimes a arm around the shoulder and a little love is better than slapping a person with truth. Yes, it was true, but uh, what a friend this guy was. Now we get to the condemnation. The main theme is of his whole speech, message, whatever you want to call it, is a condemnation of Job. He starts with criticism. Then he stops to disclose his vision. Oh, by the way, <laughs> I got this supernaturally. And then he starts right back in with his criticism. Look at verse number seven. <coughs> We're now in, uh, no, no, no. We're going to go back here to chapter four, verse number seven. J jump back a little bit. Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent. Now think about that question and the stupidity of it. Whoever perished being innocent. What he's saying there in the general consensus of Job's day was that righteous people prospered and wicked people suffered. Can I tell you that's still the general consensus today? People think that uh, not much has changed. But whoever perished being innocent? So this, uh, he's talking here about the justice of God. He goes on, or where were the righteous cut off? The premise here about justice is that God, uh, the premise that God's justice must be accepted or Eliphaz's argument will not hold up. But the premise is very flawed. Can we go back to the beginning? Did not Abel perish? Was he not innocent? He was absolutely innocent, and he perished. Um, we don't have to look far in our world today. I mean, we know people who babies who've died, and they're innocent. Many people who have done nothing wrong. Uh, you see about crime all the time, people getting killed, and they haven't done anything wrong. I mean, we're all sinners, you know what I mean? They didn't deserve what they got. David said in Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And yet he asked, who ever perished being innocent? That's a dumb question. <laughs> I mean, we could make a long list there. But Eliphaz believes that Job cannot be innocent or he wouldn't have suffered like this. And we know differently from reading Job 1 and 2. Again, just a reminder, be careful as we look at somebody going through the mill, going through trouble, we don't start pointing fingers because we don't know the whys behind everything that's going on. And by the way, we're no better anyway, even if we're not going through it uh, at the time. Like, I mean, do you really think that Eliphaz is much more holy and spiritual than Job? No. How would Eliphaz have responded in the same situation as Job? I would guess a whole lot worse. But it's very easy when you're not the one going through the trouble for you to pick up your big old Bible, <laughs> and be real righteous and real holy to the ones who are. And we got to be careful with that. Again, sometimes it's good just to show someone some love and put your arm around them and encourage them. There's a time for preaching. There's a time for encouraging. Look at the not only justice of God, but the judgment of God. Verse 8, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. <laughs> What's that say? 
that's an implication there. The statement, statement is true, of course, isn't it, about sin. We plow iniquity, we'll sow wickedness, then we reap the same. But uh, although it's true, many wicked people prosper in this life, do they not? And many, <coughs> many <coughs> excuse me, righteous people have troubles in this life. We learned that in Job 1, the cause for Job's suffering was not Job's sin, but Job's righteousness. That's why he's suffering, because he was good, not bad. And so, again, it's flawed. His, his, he's giving truth, but his premise is flawed. He goes on in chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. <coughs> Call now, if there be any that will answer thee, into which of the saints wilt thou turn? So, Elias pictures the conditioned, uh, condition here of the condemned as if they're beyond help, and this is so far from true. Is never, ever, ever, ever too late to get mercy. Praise God. You'll never sink so low as to be ignored by God. Call on him in the day of trouble. Or call unto me in the day of trouble, and I will help. Uh, let's never, ever think that someone, excuse me, is beyond help. Listen, if they're, if they're laying up here in a coffin, they're beyond help. Otherwise, there's still hope to invest. He then begins to talk about the foolish man and the wicked man. Look at verse number two. <coughs> For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. Look at verse number four. His children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate, neither is there any to deliver them. Whoa, 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 stop for a minute here. What is that alluding to? I think it's alluding to Job's children. You know what happens to the wicked Job? His children are slaughtered. His children are killed. What happened to Job's children? Well, Job's children all die. I think that this is a, it's quite obvious. He's saying here that Job's wickedness has resulted in the death of his children. Boy, I'm glad my friend showed up. Think about it. I just think about this. As low as Job is feeling, I mean, I don't like to delve too deep in feelings, but man, he's at his lowest point in the world. And yeah, Job, it's probably your wickedness that caused me. What a terrible, terrible thing. I, I read this with two different ways of thinking. I try to put myself in place of Job, and I try to remind myself, man, there is a, there's, a, there's a little life as in all of us. We like to, it's a natural thing to do. Somebody's unloading their troubles. We may be listening, but in our mind, we're thinking about, what oh, messed up with this, fixing, fixing, fixing. There's a place for that, man. Sometimes I like Siegmund Freud's advice. Never miss a good opportunity. Sometimes we ought to take that advice. All right, verse number five. <coughs> Here he goes on. Whose harvest the hungry eateth up, taketh it out even of the thorns, and the robber swalloweth up their substance. What happened to Job's crops? They were gone. What happened to all of his livestock? Robbers came and got them. The Sabians and the Chaldeans came, remember? Took all his livestock. He was robbed of his substance. But not because Job is wicked, as Eliphaz implies here, we are so good at assuming the worst when we see people in trouble or suffering. We're good at just assuming they did something to deserve it. And then in verse number seven, now we use this verse, I use this verse all the time, but I'm going to rebuke myself just a little bit because when we do, we usually take it out of context. Not that it's not true how we use it. Verse seven, man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. That verse usually is given as that trouble comes into every man's life no matter who you are, you will face trouble. It's like the sparks of fire. That is not a misinterpretation. But in a, uh, this verse is in a context about the curse on evil. So we learn in the first part of the chapter that troubles do not come without cause. They're determined by sin. That's what his premise is here. Here we learn that the evil determines the curse. So when you see evil, you can be sure the curse will come as sparks that fly upward. If you put all that together. So the troubles that come as sparks that fly upward, as sure as you're wicked, surely then your troubles will go as the sparks that fly upward. The implication he's making here is because of Job's sin, Job's troubles were predictable.
because of his wickedness. Yeah, it's because of what you, what you, the life you've lived. Maybe you had a secret life none of us knew about, Job, and now you're reaping the whirlwind. The kind of guy you want as your best man at your wedding, isn't it? Just a great, great, great friend. Now that he's condemned Job, he urges Job to repent. Look at verse 8. I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause. If it were me, Job, this is what I would do. Implies that Job needs to go to the Lord and repent of his sin. It's a backhanded condemnation. Now, very quickly, he cites five things about God to encourage repentance, the greatness of God. Verse 9, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Job ought to repent because God is great. That's not a bad idea, by the way. Again, there's a lot of truth in what he's saying here. But the implied application is not acceptable that Eliphaz is giving because Job's troubles are not a result of his sin. So truth we're seeing is not being applied right. Then also because of the goodness of God, verse 10, who giveth rain upon the earth and sendeth water upon the field. The Apostle Paul talks about the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance, Romans 2, 4. So goodness of God should lead us to repentance. The grace of God, verse 11, to set up on high those that be low, that those that mourn be exalted to safety. Grace is unmerited favor. It does, indeed, it does encourage repentance. God's grace says there is a hope for the sinner. And then the grimness of God, verse 12 through 14. He that disappointeth the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. He taketh the wise in their own craftiness and the counsel that forward is carried headlong. They met with the darkness in the daytime and grope in the noonday as in the night. Talking about judgment, but I needed a G, so we're going to go with grimness, okay? Judgment of God. From God's grace, he moves into judgment. If you do despise the grace of God, you will experience judgment. That's true. And then the guarding by God. Look at verse 15. Uh, he saveth the poor from the sword, from their mouth, and the, from the hand of the mighty, so that the poor hath hope, and iniquity stoppeth her mouth. What does the beatitude start out with? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Repentance recognizes our poverty in the important areas of life. Uh, encourages us, this promise does, that God will guard and protect those that are poor in spirit, that come before him humility. And then we, not going to get into it tonight, we don't have time, but the chastisement, he talks about chastisement as well. But uh, the uh, lessons that we have from Eliphaz, i got to take you to one more. Just, just the pure arrogance of this guy. i got to take you here. I know we're running out of time. Look at verse number 27. Lo this, we have searched it, so it is. Hear it and know that it is for thy good. Have you ever had anybody do something to your, for your own good? It's never good. doesn't feel good. Spankings are for your own good. It's for your own good that I do this or that. What a, he just a arrogance here that he's talking about. He had confirmed me. This we have searched it, hear it, and know that it's for thy good. We know it. We know what we're talking about. I, Eliphaz, stated a holiday in express. I know what I'm talking about. I've searched out on YouTube. And uh, listen, there's always self-entitled experts in the area of the troubles. You and they'll sometimes be as clueless as they think they are smart. So what do we learn from all this? What do we do when someone thinks they're being helpful? They do more damage than good. It's not easy to deal with that. I'm going to give you two things in closing, just things I've kind of found out in my own experience. Find some truth in what they're saying. This is tough. This is tough to do, especially if you're being... <coughs> criticized heavily. Uh, a lot of truth came from Eliphaz, okay? If we're honest, we didn't get to go through everything. A lot of truth came from him. A lot of what he said is right. A lot of what he said is true. And he had some good things to say. Was he off base in his application? Yes. Was he off base in how he saw Job? Yes. But Job still could 
listen to some of the things he was saying, and there was a lot of truth. And even if somebody is coming at us way off base, we can learn some things if we have the humility to listen. Secondly, be humble enough to hear them out. For two chapters, Job's had to listen. I mean, he had to just sit there and, and I got, I mean, props to Job. He didn't interrupt him. He let him finish. He let, you know, he answers him, but he let him finish. This is, again, very hard in our human nature to do. As soon as somebody starts attacking, we want to come back, come back. No, 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 that's not right. That's not right. But he didn't. Eliphaz said something, especially when he got to the point about his kids. Yeah, the wicked man's kids are wiped out, like yours, Job. I mean, this is where you'd, you'd think Job would have, uh, he, ha- he already had a potsherd. He was scraping himself with stabbed Eliphaz with his potsherd. You know, that's what you'd think he'd want to do. But he didn't. He heard him out. If we can do that, that's wisdom. That's humility. And uh, so how do we respond? That's the one question. And then how do we act? There's a time for us to bash somebody over the head with the Bible and show them the truth. There's a time for us to just have some little and uh, learn something from Eliphaz. Thank you, Father.